Hey everyone, welcome to Midcurrent Church Online and welcome to the third week in our uh, series Back to Normal. If you're just jumping into this series brand new today, let me get you up to speed by letting you know how this whole entire series uh, was born. It was actually born out of moments similar to this one right here. Now, I don't know if this uh, is the scene at your at-home office or your at-home workspace, but it's moments like these and so many others happening right now that has left all of us asking ourselves this one question. When is life going to go back to normal? I know I personally, I so wish I had an answer to that question, and I'm guessing you do too, now more than ever, right? As these months go on, now more than ever, we just want some slice of normal in our lives. Normal, we have said uh, from week one in this series, normal has some sort of gravitational uh, pull on our lives, right? No one wants to be strange or weird or out there. We'd really uh, rather prefer to just be pretty Normal, right? We prefer status quo and blending in. We prefer some sense of, of comfort that we're kind of just about like everyone else. Now, in, in many cases, that's not entirely problematic. But this whole series was built uh, on this one question Is normal really what God wants? from us, right? Is normal in our everyday life, is that his design for us? Although we so desperately want to get back to normal in our everyday lives, is normal in our everyday life, is it God's best for us? Now, truthfully, when I step back and observe what is uh, normal today, what, what, what is acceptable, he, he, here's what I see uh, about normal. It's actually a little bit frightening, if I'm being honest. But when I step back and observe, here's what I see. Normal today is overworked, overstressed, overanxious, overwhelmed, overextended, overcommitted, overtired, and on down the line. And so over the course of this series so far, I have been inviting you to, to just examine some, some areas of your own life where normal might not be working any longer. And today I want to talk about one particular area of our lives where I think normal has become most silent but most deadly. And in fact, it's an area of our lives that is so significant that Jesus talked about it more than he did so many other parts of life that we think are so important. He talked about more uh, about this area of our lives than he did about heaven and hell combined. And in fact, one third of all of the parables that he taught had to do with this general area of our lives. It's our financial life and our finances and our money. See, a January 2020 survey, uh, survey uh, found that almost 75% of people who make $50,000 or less live paycheck to paycheck. It's, it found that 33% of earners who make between fifty dollars and $100,000 a year depend on their next paycheck to keep their head above water. And even 25%, one out of every four earners who make $150,000 or more a year live paycheck to paycheck to paycheck. 
The same study showed that three out of every 10 adults have no emergency savings, right? That's three out of every 10 adults who are one accident away from destruction, one unforeseen problem, one unforeseen issue that pops up, one foreseen problem away from financial ruin. I shared in the intro of this series a couple weeks ago that one study shows the average American has $38,000 of debt, right? That's an entire, you know, college graduate's first year salary that most Americans just owe to somebody else. And so for any of us who fall into any of these categories, the question that I've been asking myself is this, right? How does this happen, right? Why isn't any of this a bit more alarming? And I would suggest that it's because all of this is really pretty normal today. Debt, it's normal. Monthly payments, normal. P- paying monthly minimum, uh, normal, right? Living beyond your means, normal. Biting off more than you can chew, totally normal today. But consequently, financial stress, it's normal too, right? So is financial conflict and, and tension in marriage, Anxiety, worry, fear, suffocation, right? Quietly struggling to to keep your head above the water all while pretending life is so good. It's all pretty normal today, right? Everyone is, is freaking out about money. And so I would humbly submit today that normal in this area of our lives, it really just isn't working. On top of all that, uh, here's what I want you to know today. God doesn't want you to live like that. And and I don't only mean that God doesn't want you to to be normal with your financial life, but I mean that God doesn't want you to live in fear or or in worry or in stress. God doesn't want you to live with with the grip of your uh, current financial situation wrapped tightly around your neck every single day. He wants something so much more for you. He doesn't want something from you, right? Any church or pastor who's saying, hey, come on, cough it up. You know, come on, people, hand it over. God wants your money, right? If that's the message, that then anyone sending that message has completely overlooked what it is that God really wants. It's something for you, and it's something for me, right? The only reason that, that, that Christian pastors or leaders or Christian financial experts encourage people to give and to save and to live on the rest, it's because when they take into account everything that, that God ha- has said, okay, it is the blueprint for financial freedom and for financial peace and for, for generosity and for satisfaction in life. Right, so, so let me just say it again to be very clear. God does not want something from us. He wants something for us. And so the only reason that the Bible talks about money as much as it does is, is because I think God knows something. I think God knew something about the way that we would handle money, about the way that we would approach money, and it's stuff that he wants us to know. And so today what I want to do is I want to share three things with you that I think God wants all of us to know about money and about finances. It's three things. And let me be clear about this. It's not three things that God said Christians can never own. 
Okay? It's not three vacations that Christians should never take. It's not three dollar amounts that, that, that Christians should never spend. It's not three income levels that a Christian you know, should never earn. It's three things that God, right, because he loves us so much, because he wants something so much more for us that the intention and conflict and stress and strangulation, it's three things that I think God wants us to know about money and wealth and possessions. And as I share them with you, I'm just going to trust and I'm going to pray that God would lead you to know what to do with it. Right? Because I'm not going to sit up here and tell you what you can and cannot buy and you know, what you, you know, should and should not do. My, my only goal every single week, my only goal is to help connect you to the heart of God. And then trust that the Spirit of God would lead you to where you need to go. So it's three things that I want to share with you today. Here's the first. And I'd be glad to have you write these down if you're the note-taking kind of person. Here's the first. Contentment is key to a godly life. Contentment is key to a godly life. In the days of the Old Testament, uh, you know, thousands and thousands of years ago, generations ago, one of the richest men who ever lived was also considered uh, one of the wisest men uh, who ever lived as well. His name was Solomon. And in all of his wealth and all of his wisdom, here's what he concluded. He writes in Ecclesiastes 5.10, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. Never satisfied. See, I think what he's trying to say is our financial appetite for more, right? Our material appetite for more or for bigger or for better or for newer, it's never satisfied. It never ends, right? Physical appetites, you know, do, right? My physical appetite for, for, for chips and salsa or for Lumalnati's Chicago-style deep dish pizza, eventually it is satisfied. It takes a while. Okay? It takes you know, a few servings, it takes a lot of discomfort in the, in the midsection, and it takes a few sharp looks and raised eyebrows from my wife, okay? But eventually, my, my, my physical appetite is satisfied. And, and I think what this is saying is here is that that's not the case with our, with our financial appetite, right? If we're truly just fixated on, on money and on things and stuff, we'll never have enough, okay? No income will ever satisfy. There was an old study a few years ago out of the University of Warwick in the UK that, that found uh, something very interesting, right? This study found that it was the rank of somebody's income, not their actual income. It was, it was the rank of their income up against everybody else. It was the rank of their income, not their actual income, that affected their satisfaction in life. And the study determined that, that, that most people only felt good about how much money they had if it was more than their friends and colleagues, right? Over the course of the entire study, it turned out to be true no matter how much somebody made, a little or a lot. As long as they knew someone who earned more 
Didn't, I mean, it didn't matter if they already had a nice house or a nice car or, you know, enough money to live a very nice life. As long as they knew somebody with more, they weren't satisfied with what they had. See, I can't help but wonder if, if author Laura Numeroff had this research in mind and had us adults in mind when she wrote the children's book, If You Give a Mouse a Cookie. Okay? If, if you're not familiar with it, the story goes like this. If you give a mouse a cookie, he's going to ask for a glass of milk. Then you turn the page and it reads this. And if you give uh, the mouse a glass of milk, he'll ask for a straw. Turn the page and it reads this. And if you give him a straw, he'll ask for a napkin. And then page after page, the same pattern continues. And and all of a sudden, this kind of wild and growing and unpredictable story begins to unfold, all because of the simple fact that a mouse was given a cookie. Folks, I think God knows that, that we're a lot like that little mouse. See, he never intended to send the message that, 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 that we couldn't make a nice income or have or, or buy a certain thing. I just think that he knew, oh man, this is, this is going to be so hard for them. I, I just think he knew how this story would play out for us. Well, if they get the thing, then eventually they're going to want the newer thing. And if they get the newer thing, then, then they'll want to get the bigger thing. And if they get the bigger thing, then they're going to need a place to put the thing. And when they buy the place to put the thing, someone else will have a, a nicer thing. And this story will go on and on and on. Because if we love money and if we love what it can do for us and we love all our stuff we'll never have enough we'll never be satisfied friends where is it where is it today that that, that God might be calling you right now in your own life where is it that God might be calling you to greater levels of contentment He wants you to know that contentment is the key to satisfaction and and to happiness and to a godly life. So maybe today for you, maybe is the day when you say, you know what, normal isn't working anymore. Maybe today is the day you strive to be content with what it is that God has given you. Okay, here's the second thing that I think God wants us to know about about the, the, the financial and the material lives that we live. More costs more than time and money, okay? More costs more than time and money. In 1 Timothy 6, a guy named Paul is writing to his young protege, Timothy, and he's encouraging Timothy with all that, you know, Timothy needs to know to continue uh, leading people to follow Jesus. And so here Paul is telling Timothy, he's saying, hey, man, you got to make sure to teach the people uh, you know, about contentment and about godliness. And so here's what he writes in verse 9. He says, but people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. Okay, now, now, now here's what he's, he, he's most concerned about. It's not wealth and, and it's not material things. His concern is with the desire to be rich. His concern is, was, is with the constant desire for more, right? People who are constantly longing for more than what they have. Now, I'm not uh, pointing the finger at anyone here. We all know the feeling. I do. 
I mean, I know what it feels like to, to have a, a longing for just a little bit more. I mean, let's be honest here. I didn't choose the most lucrative profession, right? Church planting pastor isn't up there with heart surgeon and, and CEO and, and, and rock star and NFL quarterback, right? So I know what it feels like to, to, to think, man, if I, you know, if, I, you know, if I just had a, a little bit more, wouldn't, wouldn't that be great? Okay? But at the heart of Paul's teaching to Timothy is this, right? That, that it's people who always want more and bigger and better that can get into some real trouble. And, and I think this, this small, simple truth is actually captured uh, so well uh, in nature and actually out in the Alaskan wild, to be exact. I was reading this week about some of the causes of death of bald eagles in Alaska, okay? And I didn't really have any guesses as to what would be on that list. I, I didn't know. I mean, old age, broken wing, grizzly bear, hunters, maybe sunburn and skin cancer on the top of the bald head. I mean, I really, I had no idea, okay? But one of the causes of death I absolutely didn't see coming. If I had to put it in my own words, it was death by greed. Death by greed. Okay. You see, when a, when a bald eagle is, is, is hungry, right? the eagle flies over salmon runs. And they swoop down over the surface of the water, and then they sink their talons in, into the back of a salmon, and they fly it away for lunch on, on the riverbank. Okay? Apparently, it's the bald eagle's version of, of, of curbside uh, pickup. Right? Who knew that they were so ahead of the game? Smart creatures, right? Well, maybe not so much. You see, these bald eagles get greedy. And at times, their eyes are so much bigger than their nine-foot or whatever wingspan, right? And so as they fly over the salmon runs, they, 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 they set their sights on the biggest salmon they can find. And when they sink their talons into that salmon, they soon discover they are in a fight for their life. Because these salmon can hold their own. The bigger salmon actually are strong enough to fight back. And they can swim hard enough to submerge the eagle underwater. Okay, but get this. The eagle is too greedy to let go. And will attempt to swim itself to shore with the salmon still in tow. So wildlife experts uh, say that the best case scenario is that the eagle makes it back to shore uh, after a considerable struggle. I mean, that if you saw it out in the water, you'd be thinking, what in the world is happening out there? Okay, that, that's best case scenario, that they make it back after expending a tremendous uh, deal of energy. Worst case scenario is that the eagles drown. Okay? They'd rather risk their life for a bigger fish than, 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 than to just let go and live to fish and to eat another day. Midcurrent, I think if some of you could get really honest with just yourself for just a moment right now, you might admit that your head is underwater or that you're pretty darn close. Right, that there's a life that you have, and then there's a life or a lifestyle or an income or a thing that you really, really, really want. And you won't let go of it, and it's dragging you into 
ruin, and destruction. It's dragging you into anxiety, into stress, into tension, into conflict every day in your life. My prayer is that you might hear God whispering to you, bigger and newer and nicer. It might be perfectly normal. It it might be acceptable in the world today, but it is not better than what I have given you right now. It's not worth it. So just let go. Just let go. Then here's the last thing that I want to share with you today that I think God wants you and me to know. Hope in wealth, it does not last. Okay? Hope and, and confidence and trust in wealth and what it is that we have, it does not last. If we keep reading this letter that Paul writes to Timothy regarding how Timothy should teach others you know, about you know, contentment and wealth and, and, and godliness and finances, here's what he says in verse 17. And, and this was so important. Right, Because so many of the people in the, in the first century church who had just begun following Jesus, they were wealthy, upper class members of society. And so here's how Paul instructs Timothy. He says, command those or teach those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to be proud, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Paul's saying, you got to teach these people to put their hope in God. Not in their wealth, not in their income, not in their stuff, because all of that stuff is so uncertain. Okay? And the same is true for you and me. Right? Erica and I often laugh at ourselves when we learn this lesson in real life. And we just did. Okay? You see, last fall, our refrigerator stopped working. And you might think, well, that would be a big bummer because refrigerators, they're, they're, they're big and expensive and, and you know, a pain to replace. And you got to keep some food cool and you got to throw a bunch of other food out that's spoiled. And, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a pain in the butt. Okay? But we were actually pretty excited about the whole thing because we are the type of people who would never replace something that, that, that worked perfectly fine. So despite our lack of excitement about our old you know, off-white refrigerator with you know, the kind of yellowish like tint that it was now uh, you know, gaining, right? it had always worked fine. And so there was no way that we were going to buy a new one. But now... Right now that it stopped working, we had no other choice but to buy ourselves a brand new stainless steel automatic water dispenser side-by-side counter depth refrigerator. And honestly, I kid you not, we were so excited about it. We were so excited because A, we, we, we had no choice. We had to do it. And B, we were convinced that life in our new kitchen with, with our stainless steel refrigerator, we were convinced that it was going to be like so luxurious. Right? We were convinced that I, we, would, this was, we were just going to be so happy with the stainless steel refrigerator. And here's the deal. It's great. The water dispenser is awesome, right? You don't even have to stand there and hold your cup. You can just set it down and, and set it to autofill. You can choose cubed ice or, or crushed ice. It's great. But in a few weeks, do you know what both Erica and I realized? We couldn't care less, right? It didn't matter. We were over it, 
right? We weren't happier. Our dinners didn't taste better. Uh, our food wasn't colder. Uh, our friends didn't think we were any more, you know, cooler. Uh, you know, within a matter of weeks, we didn't care anymore. And to tell you the truth, not only do we realize that we didn't care, but we soon discovered we didn't even like it. Okay, the freezer is horrible. You can't fit a darn thing in there. At least once a week, one of us can be heard yelling, I hate this freezer, right? As food is spilling out and collecting around our feet on the floor. Friends, our hope in wealth, our hope in things and stuff, in more and better and nicer, it will always disappoint Wealth and things and stuff, it's not inherently bad. Paul, Paul isn't saying, hey, you can't have stuff. He's not saying that you can't buy new appliances unless your old one, you know, breaks first. He's not saying that. He's just saying, don't put your hope, people. Don't put your trust. Don't put your confidence in your stuff. It is so uncertain. It is so temporary. Put your hope in God who richly provides everything that we will ever need. Folks, here's what I believe. I, I, I really do believe that there is a hole in the hearts and in the lives of every single one of us that is longing for something more. And, 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 and stress and tension and loneliness and, and, and the craziness that is our world right now, it only makes that hole feel so much larger and that longing so much more. And sometimes I think we're convinced that if, 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 we, if we just had that thing, if we just had that vacation, if we just got that promotion, or if we just had that income or that house or that new toy or that fill in the blank, well, then we really would feel so much better. Okay. And, and none of that is, 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 inherently bad. I mean, none of that on its own is, is sinful and it, it might, might, you know, very well be, be fun for a while, but it won't fill that hole. It won't satisfy that longing that we have deep down inside of us. Because hope in things and hope in wealth and hope in stuff, it does not last. And Paul, whose life was, was turned upside down by God for the better, he says, put your hope in God who richly provides for you everything you need uh, for life on this earth and, and for eternity with God tomorrow. Mid-Kern, I, I think there are some of you today that need to, to take that step to put your hope in God. Right? You, you've tried to, to put your hope and in, in your happiness in the hands of something or someone else that you thought would fill that hole. But if you're being honest, right, it, it always comes up empty. I think there are others of you who right now maybe need to, to, to replace or to re-put your hope in God. You're hoping God, right, that he sees you and knows you and knows what you need right now and that he and he alone will provide everything that you really need. So no matter why it is that you need to put your hope in God today, let me give you the chance to do that right now. Will you pray with me? God, I know that it is so easy for all of us to settle 
for, for normal. In so many areas of our life, God, but I know it's so easy for us to just be content with normal when it comes to our finances, right? Sometimes it's just hard to imagine that there you know, might be another way, that there might be a different way, or that there might be even a better way to, to, to do all this stuff. And, and so I am praying today, God, that your spirit might help each of us to see that you desire something so much more than normal for us in this area of our lives. God, would you help each of us to do what we need to do to become just a little bit abnormal in this area of our lives. And as we do, God, would you help us to experience more contentment, more satisfaction, more peace, more freedom. God, would you help us not to worship our wealth, but to use our wealth to worship and to honor you. And God, above all else, would you help each and every one of us to put our hope and to put our trust and to put our confidence in you and on what you richly provide for us, both in this life and the next. God, we give you thanks for your son, Jesus, who made a way for us to experience life with you for eternity. God, if there is anyone here today that has not put their hope in you, if there is anyone that has not said yes to the free gift of grace through faith in your son Jesus, I pray that they might do that right now and that they would begin to experience the ways that you richly provide for all of us beyond what any of us could comprehend. We pray this in your name. Amen. Hey, well, if you did today say yes uh, to that gift of grace through faith in Jesus, uh, we want to know. All you need to do is send a very simple email. I said yes to yes at midcurrentchurch.org. We want to follow up with you, uh, cheering you on and celebrating this uh, incredible step with you. Uh, I also want to let you know that next week, our good friend James Brown is going to be back again for the fourth week in our series, Back to Normal. And I got to tell you, his message is one uh, that I am just praying and hoping that every single person who has ever been a part of Midcurrent uh, would hear this message. And so I'm hoping to see you right back here next week at 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. at Midcurrent Church. Uh, excuse me, uh, midcurrent.online.church. Uh, we will see you then. Have a great week. <laughs>